Hey folks, welcome to So-Called Normal. My name is Mark Hennick. Today on the show, we have comedian, author, mental health advocate, and all-around really beautiful person, Jessica Holmes. Uh, you might have seen her on Royal Canadian Air Force or read her book, Depression, the Comedy. If you haven't done either of those things yet, go do both right now. Well, don't don't stop doing this. Keep listening to this. But after you're done listening to this, go do that. Um, last week in Canada was National Mental Health Week. Uh, this week in the United States and in the UK, it's Mental Health Week there. And this whole month, actually, is Mental Health Awareness Month. So it was really important for me to have Jessica in particular on the show because she's a fellow public speaker. She's a comedian. She's you know done comedy in the clubs, but especially corporate comedy, and uh, which is a very different kind of thing in public speaking. So we had that in common, and we chatted uh, quite a bit about that uh, and her experience with depression uh, and how open she has been about that. And I really love talking to comedians in particular, and I'm going to have some more on the show uh, because I myself use humor as just a way to, to manage to get through these types of things. You have to find the humor in it, right? And and I think that that's pretty common. When, when uh, I talk to comedians, I hear that almost all of them uh, have a mental health journey of, of some kind or another. So I think you're really going to find this interesting, especially for this very special uh, mental health, one of our very special mental health month episodes, uh, Mental Health Week at the UK and the US, as I mentioned, and last week in, in Canada. So here's my conversation uh, with Jessica Holmes on So-Called Normal. I'm Jessica Holmes. I am a comedian and an author and a mental health advocate. What does that mean, uh, mental health advocate? Mental health advocate means I'm not quite an expert, (laughs) (laughs) but I am someone who has experienced uh, mental health issues in the past and just decided that for my career to feel like it has any meaning and to sort of give meaning to the suffering that I went through, Mm. I just want to give it away now. I just want to get on stage and tell everyone – um just there there shouldn't be any stigma around mental health issues. Taking care of our mental health should be no different from brushing your teeth and sure. putting on deodorant and chatting about it as easily as that. Yeah. So you just you, you just gave a really nice tight summary of what I think our entire conversation is probably <laughs> going to be about. So, <laughs> Excellent. So let's let's unpack this. I started a bit. with dessert. Yeah, no. Hey, that's great. I love to start with dessert. Um Let's unpack this more. So uh, what have you struggled with? Well, you, you talk about your own your own mental health. Do yes. you have a diagnosis of some kind? Uh, yes. Um, so after my kids were born, we had Irish twins, which is when you have two babies back to back. And I grew, uh, so I was raised Irish Catholic. So I know exactly okay, so what you mean. You know, mean. they're <laughs> having a lot of babies in yeah. a minimum number of years. Yeah, My um, mother is one of uh, 16. Holy cow. Do you know all your aunts and uncles' names? I, I could if I listed if them, really but yeah, listed, I, I've been yeah. meaning to try to, to rattle them off. That'd be funny. Yeah. Do you know what we do in our houses? We have a family tree with photos on the wall because Good otherwise idea. we can't – we're sure. Irish as well and we just don't know – all the names. Yeah, no, I'd need a, I'd need a bigger a, wall. I, think. I know. <laughs> In a condo. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but my apologies. So you were saying. Yeah. Uh, so Irish twins. after when my second child was uh, four months old, I just felt paralyzed with anxiety and mm. uh, got a diagnosis of um, postpartum depression. And then I figured I got better and said, well, I'm not having any more babies, so mm. take that, depression. No more depression <laughs> ever. And uh, maybe four years later, um, it crept up on me, but it was a different type of depression. It okay. wasn't – it 
the anxiety that I felt was sort of on the self-loathing side. But more than that, I just couldn't see any reason for anything. Right. Like I, I sucked it up when my kids came home every day and put my best foot forward. And if someone hired me to come out and speak at something, I would mm. suck it up for that hour and be a really good actor and, and mm. bring it on. But if it wasn't one of those two moments, I had nothing. And I felt like the world had nothing for me, mm. um, which is terrible because in my heart, my personality is full of gratitude. Sure. I'm, I'm an optimist and a, and a really grateful person. And I count my blessings a lot, but um, I just couldn't feel it. Right. And I later, once I got diagnosed, I asked my psychiatrist, why the disconnect? And she said, a depressed mind is like a sieve. And only the negatives make it through the holes right. and the positives are trapped up there. And that has been the best for me in explaining it to people, um, particularly people who are close to me, mm -hmm. who I felt didn't have, couldn't find the sympathy for me because on paper, my mm. life looks so good. You, right. If you have life way easier than me, your life looks better than mine. Mm -hmm. Why on earth are you crumpled up on the sofa for a year? Right. What's, are you just not being grateful? And yeah. So my message when I get on stage is it's not an attitude problem. It's right. it's a mental illness. Well, being depressed when your life is shitty is understandable. Yes, <laughs> but, I know, I know. But being saying. depressed when your life is good, that's what depression <laughs> is, right? It's that that's, Exactly. That's the exact um, diagnosis of it. If if things are going right and you still can't find a, a sense of happiness or calm, right. then, yeah, then something's right. going wrong. So prior to the postpartum uh episode if if you want to call it that because mm -hmm. it sounds like it was it was uh, fairly focused around that time mm -hmm. had you any prior history of of mental illnesses of depression anxiety anything like that i nothing that i got diagnosed for but i will say when i entered the comedy world mm -hmm. i suddenly went from being someone who was constantly engaged with i think i'm a person who has a really busy mind mm -hmm. as many comedians do but I, I always was a busy mind with lots to fill, right. lots to fill it. Like I had, I served a mission with my church. I mm -hmm. would would go to university. I, I filled my time with a lot of knowledge and stuff. And then when I joined the comedy world, I started working at Second City in the touring company, mm -hmm. which means you're only guaranteed to show every Sunday night, but you have to leave all the other days free in oh. case a gig opens up or in case someone needs an understudy. Right. So suddenly I was kind of, trapped at home and my sense of humor, which had always been kind of my invisible best friend, mm -hmm. was now my source of income. Right. And so I went through this change where I was suddenly feeling a little lost in myself. Um, but at that point in time, I just kept thinking, I, I just have to push through this. I just have mm -hmm. to push through this. Mm -hmm. This is, I guess, just what it is to be an artist. Right. And when I recovered from depression this last time, um, I said to my psychiatrist, I don't think this is the right business for me to be in. Mm. And she said, well, what if instead of changing careers 20 years in, what if we could find ways of supporting you in this career right. that would help you still be mentally stable? And mm -hmm. so that's what we've done. And that's how I've lived every right. single day for the last four years. So and um, I've been trying to get a comedian on the show for a while now because mm -hmm. I find it absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fascinating. I haven't met or or enjoyed a comedian who doesn't have some sort of connection with a mental health problem or illness is it part of the job i think i think it might be um <laughs> i actually interviewed the late mike mcdonald oh, for wow. my book because i wanted i didn't just want it to be my opinion that yes comedy is hard and sure. can, can contribute to mental health issues um so i asked him what is it and 
we were like, what comes first, the comedy or the depression? Mm. And he said, it's a bit of both. He said, you know, we're all very introspective people Mm -hmm. who look for the holes in life. And Mm -hmm. that's where we want to find humor from. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking a lot. Um, We don't do great with downtime Mm. because our minds are busy. And then we have this lifestyle where you feel like a rock star for three or four days and then no one hires you for two months. Right. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not always about what's fair or not. It's sure. it's an industry with too few jobs for too many people. Um, so when you put those two things together with someone like me who maybe is a little predisposed, is a little more sensitive mm-hmm. or um, finds it hard to be self a self-starter mm-hmm. in some ways, then um, – for me, it wasn't working. And if I hadn't found a good psychiatrist to sort of help me right. figure out how to reconcile the two, I I couldn't be – I'd have opened a bakery yeah, yeah. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> all gluten yeah. all the time. Yeah. So do you, do you think though that um, it, it, what, what Mike McDonald mentioned around uh, drawing on the emotion, I guess, as a source for the comedy maybe or as a way to ignore all the stuff in your life or as an outlet or whatever it is um, – can you still be funny without tapping into that stuff? Is there a different way to be funny? Oh, there, there is the Ellen DeGeneres school of being funny where she's sure. an incredibly positive person. I don't think someone needs to suffer to right. be comedic. I think it's that people who are really introspective, yeah. who internalize everything that happens around them, are naturally funny people right. because they um, – you're always looking to say, okay, what just happened plus my comedic spin equals making people laugh and making right. people feel good. So right. I, I can't, there's so many different types of comedians now that I sure. couldn't possibly speak to what – like to, to a generalization except to say um, there are m- more cases of depression among artists yeah. than the general population. So then it, it, it's probably, it seems because of that creative mind, that inability, maybe it, I don't like the, I don't like the word inability, but that, um, that you're not in the habit of keeping your thoughts super organized, super together so they can go spin and, off. And our quote talent <laughs> right. is that whatever's in our heart comes out. Right. So it's for me to be a good comedian and to even to have the respect of my peers, mm. What I try to do in my craft, mm. <laughs> I feel like a total cheese ball calling it that. But No, that's great. I what I this. try and do is not edit myself at all. I try okay. and just feel what the world gives me and then turn that into something and put it back out there. Right. And when when I do that, um, you're, you're taking in maybe more – that people with a day job at a bank might yeah. just say, oh, I just don't let those thoughts come in or I I just don't right. – I don't take two hours to indulge on why uh, no one on the block likes me. Whereas well, I would that, actually that be like, be hey, nice. why, does, why <laughs> does no one on the block like me? Hey, what can – I'm going to sit and think about it for like three hours and then yeah. I'm going to write a comedy bit about it. And then you have to move and then you have to like, <laughs> I know. It's awkward. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it, I think we're people who's – 90% of our job is just sitting around thinking, yeah. you know, coming up with ideas and right. reading the paper and figuring out what does that mean and how can I make it funny. And another side of that job is if your job is to make people laugh, there's never really a finish line. So right. there's never – I've heard other comedians say this. There's never that sense of landing or of completion mm. because 
every audience is different sure. and you can get a standing ovation one night, do the exact same material the next night and it's crickets out there. I, I had this. I was just telling somebody about this the other day. Now, I, I'm not a comedian or anything like that, but I do tell people I've been talking about suicide now and my own experiences uh, for 10 years probably uh, and signed with an agency to do that about start doing that about five years ago and it was really hard to sell a talk about suicide (laughs) because I'm like no no trust me we're gonna make it light (laughs) we're gonna gonna make it funny like we're not gonna make fun of it but my way to get through my own story is to make fun of myself Mm -hmm. and it's I'm funny in my head but (laughs) even if nobody else does but I was doing I, I had this experience probably a year ago, uh, doing uh, my mental health talk. I, I did it for one group. It killed, got the standing O. It was a big group. It was great. Did it a week later to almost the exact same type of group, same demographic, mm. same everything, nothing. And and actually, the organizer afterwards said that they didn't like it. They didn't like my story. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Like, I don't, and it was I don't the care st- for your suicide story. Basically, yeah. This is basically what it was. And tell, <laughs> telling me about how I should talk about my own story and, and instructing me and all this stuff. Oh, boy. Um, but the first one was great. And they did mm-hmm. great big feature about it and everything. And, I, and that was a really important learning moment for me because I was like, you know what? I just got to get up there and do my thing and, and give and, it my best. And sometimes it's easier said than done because – in comedy, your job is to be personal. Right. Your job is to really open up and be personal. So when when someone says, well, don't take it personally, if that was a tough crowd, you go, right. but that's the core of that's who a- I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If um, they don't laugh, this is... Yeah. And especially if it's not scripted, written, or, or super written comedy, I would imagine. If you're there sharing mm-hmm. yourself, well, if they're not laughing, then maybe I'm, you know, there's something to do with me. <laughs> maybe I'm absolutely not likable and right. not talented. Right. <laughs> and it's really weird because I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years right. and that thought will still pop in sometimes where I go, what am I doing here? Right. Who said I was a comedian? Oh right. my gosh. Yeah. This, but it's, and that's just a tough crowd and kind of like, usually what I do after a show like that is I'll go home and I'll have a shower right. and I'll be like, there, it all goes down just the drain. Just wash it off. Yeah. Bad feelings gone. Um, that's a really good strategy. Anyway. I should do that. Um, <laughs> so it, it sounds like though, um, you know, this idea of going in there and sharing yourself and, and it, it sounds like it comes from that improv kind of mm-hmm. core and you do a lot of and have done a lot of improv mm-hmm. in your career. Yeah. And I find um, having started at the Second City, what they respected mm-hmm. was for people to be um, to take big chances, mm-hmm. to be open and vulnerable mm-hmm. on stage and that that's where the best comedy would come from. And then I go out into the stand up comedy world where it's just about did you get the laugh or did you not get mm-hmm. the laugh? Mm-hmm. And so when I discovered the keynote world, which is just going from company to company and sharing my mental health story or sharing my comedic spin about Mm -hmm. life's lessons. For me, that was the perfect mix Mm. because I have to have the punchlines because I'm billed as a comedian. But um, the having those honest and vulnerable moments are very connective. I really I feel the connection with the audience. If I ever tried that in a stand up club, forget it. Right. Well, do you you think it's a I feel like it's a different standard in some ways. It's it's I don't know. I guess you do this uh, that kind of show way more than than I do. I don't do it, but um, is it easier to make a corporate audience laugh versus a comedy club who are going there to laugh? Ha ha! Pers- funny person, make me laugh, kind of thing. Yeah, I. It's definitely easier with the corporate audience because right. the people who go to comedy clubs generally go to a lot of comedy clubs sure. or listen to a lot of comedy, so they need to be surprised mm. with originality. Um, on top of it, you you have to stand out from from other people. Whereas, 
I love when I get on stage with a corporate audience because I know we have an hour together. Right. So first we're going to warm each other up. We're going to get to know each other and then we're going to get personal and mm. then we're going to get funny. Mm. And uh, so I like that journey together because I don't feel like, okay, I have eight minutes and right. that means I have to right away just pack it all <laughs> in. And it's, it's just not really the right scene for me. I do yeah. comedy festivals the odd time where I will go perform with other comedians simply so that I can remember that I have a peer group sure, yeah, <laughs> so that sure. I don't feel like I'm always on an island. Yeah. Um, what is that peer group like, actually? I mean, the, the the world of comedians. I listen to Mark Maron sometimes, or actually a lot, but that's the only insight into that that I could get. And I'm not sure it's entirely and what is And what is his take on it? Does he feel uh, like? Well, I mean, he seems he, he he's he's certainly reflective about the struggles uh, in the world. He seems mm-hmm. to I can't speak for him, obviously, but that there's um, lots of different camps uh, within the comedy world. I, and I don't know what draws those lines, if it's a if it's a geography thing or a type of comedy thing or, uh, it, you know, it seems like uh, women in comedy have a particularly tight bond. At least that's what it seems mm-hmm. like as a white male from the outside. Yeah. Um, I I always felt like a bit of an outsider because I always felt like I was the Pollyanna of the group. I was the goody two shoes. I I think they felt like I pulled a lot of punches Mm. and I got lucky very quickly Mm. in the industry. But you worked your way up. I I worked, but it's it's this one. It's this thing where you're not supposed to look like you're Mm. ambitious. You're not supposed to. That's such a Canadian thing. You're trying real hard. Yeah. So when, I, when Canadian stars get too big, we tear them down, it mm-hmm. seems, because I don't know, it's it's something about staying humble. Yeah, I know another comedian who hired a publicist mm. for a show that they were doing, and she said some of her peers turned on her because really? they were like, who do you think you are getting a publicist? Are you trying to jump the line? Are you trying right. to? And she's like, no, I just I just listened to some <laughs> Tony Robbins and felt like it sounded like a good plan. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the the sense that I had as well. I always felt a little... Um, self-conscious. Sure. Also, I would be in the green room doing John Gray exercises of like, oh, glorious future, come unto me, while while people are like, shut up. <laughs> Do you care if I smoke in here? Like, it's, yeah. it, it's, I don't, I never felt like I was really part of the group, but, right. and I, I spent many years away, but then when I started coming back to it, in the last year or two, I really do feel that connect. Mm. And part of it is I'm going in thinking how grateful I am for their company because it helps me feel mm. just a little more connected to a peer group. Um, and I'm not as worried about like, who likes me? Or sure. who, who's judging me right now? Right. Well, you've kind of earned your cred by this point. I don't think you really have to. Well, and whether I have or not, like, I just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. I have deadlines. Sure. I have this and that. I don't have the same time to sit and reflect on whether I'm popular or not. Right. Um, right. But I I will say I, I thought that they were more uh, bitter than they actually are. Okay. Like in my memory, I yeah. had sort of made it out to be this big, intimidating group. Sure. And then when I work with them again now, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're all just... We're all just trying to pay our bills right. here. We're all in the in the same boat um, yeah. to a to the biggest uh, to a bigger extent than than I had realized before. So that's a nice sense of community. I, I think it sounds like yeah. you know everybody wants to be welcomed into something, and I find in some ways the mental health community is is kind of like that too. You bump into the same people all over the place who who do this kind of work, and uh, and there is a sense you, you, out of necessity you build a sense of community I think. oh yeah and I what I love about the people in the mental health industry so I was mentioning Louise Bradley earlier mm-hmm. who uh, is is high up there and uh, 
any time that I've had the privilege of working with her, at some point she always turns to me and goes, and how are you doing? And I'm always like, see, I love that. <laughs> no, I don't get no that comedian in any has other. asked you that in the, in the <laughs> no. green room of a <laughs> dirty comedy no, club. No, and when I work yeah. for a bank, no one asks yeah, me that. No. <laughs> yep. um, when I'm at the dog park, no one asks me yeah, that. No, yeah. but it's really, it's, I, I love, I guess because I consider someone who is so often on the receiving end right. of, people with uh, helping out with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm amazed that there's a group of people who are the givers. Right. Like I feel like I've been the taker and I'm amazed right. that there's people who have the patience to listen for hours and to be on the other end of the call lines. And mm. for me, I, I was at a place for a long time where I felt like if anyone shared their experience with me, I was like, I'm so sorry, but I feel like I'm going to drown with you. Mm. Like I feel like you're pulling my raft down with mm-hmm. with your weight. Sure. And I felt really guilty about that, but I understood, well, I was in a depression. Of course I couldn't. I, I couldn't be helping yeah. people out. And so now I've figured out a little more what my what my boundaries are and what I'm able yeah. to do. And, uh, and I do it within that framework and people are really respectful because I do, yeah. I want to help. I yeah. just know I'm not I'm not a trained counselor and I can't, yeah. you know. Um, so you must get, especially at least in my experience too, when you open up about uh, yourself, it invites people to open up about themselves too and to share their stories with you. You must get that as well. I do get it, but I I love that people have been so respectful about it. Like right. people will email and say, I, I saw your talk and is it okay if I share my story with you? And I yeah. feel very safe online. I always, yeah, so sure. in that scenario, I always say absolutely. And just so you know, I... I'm not a psychologist. Right. And I, I'm not able to to help you, but I can certainly tell you that you're not alone, and um, yeah. and let you know your I believe your story and and that yeah. kind of thing. I not, mean, when I was depressed, feeling believed yeah. <laughs> that I had this invisible illness, that was very big for me sure. because and I hurt. felt like there was quite a lot of eye rolling and like, oh, when are you gonna get off the sofa type right. of thing. So. Yeah. And I find, you know, in my experience, ninety percent of the time, that's all people want. They don't want somebody to tell them what medication they should be on or what, you know, therapy they should. They just want somebody who's a warm body and willing to listen. Right? Absolutely. And to me, that's um, I I had to let my husband know because he's such a fixer. Hmm. Um, it was great. A lot of times I'd have my psychiatrist just write him letters directly. <laughs> and she'd put it on her little <laughs> prescription pad and she'd be like, Jessica needs a dog. Jessica <laughs> needs to go for a did holiday. You write, did you yeah. ask her for a prescription for a dog? <laughs> she actually did. She actually wrote, get a, and she said, get a sad dog that's going to make you get off the sofa. And Aww. I did. But um, <laughs> um, now my my dog and I are best buddies and, and awesome. jog every day. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like validation is is a mm. key thing. And I know you are incredibly well-versed and well-trained in the mental health field. I just have my experience right. and the reading I've done to go on. And so I don't, I can't get on stage and give people the, the kind of healing or advice right. that will be a, a fix it for some of their situations. But what I can do is share my experience and tell people you are absolutely not alone. Please right. don't judge those who are in this situation. And uh, here's here's a couple of yeah. impressions to send you off on a happy yeah. note. Yeah, And, you know, I've actually in, in my own work as well have moved more and more in that direction. I mean, that's where I started was was in sharing my story. But then, you know, the, the more I do it and the more successful you get at it, you realize that's what people want. They just want to hear personal stories that they can relate to. They don't want mm-hmm. somebody to go up there and beat them over the head with a bunch of statistics and, and, and diagnostic criteria. That doesn't mean anything to people unless you can relate to them in a human way. Yeah. Well, and my main message is just I, 
I believe you. I'm so yeah. sorry you're going through what you're going through. Because to me, that was the sweetest thing to hear when I was in my deep pain was for someone to say, oh, I'm really sorry. That must be hard. Because yeah. I'd be like, it is. Yes. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for not just asking why I can't you know, get up and totally. be grateful. I, I would feel so much better if somebody said to me, you know what? This sucks. It's going to suck. <laughs> it's supposed to suck. This is going to be terrible. But let's let's let it be terrible together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be far yeah. more comforting for me than, than somebody trying to fix it. I think, too, be- that's doubly true, because when when someone is in a depression or is suffering from anxiety, the first thing to go is your perspective. Yes. The first thing that flies out of your mind is the knowledge that other people must be going through something similar. And the truth is one in five are, but it just never occurred to me to seek validation elsewhere or to seek, um, you know, someone else going through the same kind of experience, uh, that I was. Even just to sit in the same room, uh, and not talk about something that you both know you've been through. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I know that sounds weird, but but it's true. That Even that can be healing mm-hmm. to realize well, that you've both been there and you don't have to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And my best moment was just saying to my mom, I've been diagnosed as depressed again. Mm-hmm. Can you just come for the weekend and we'll just watch TV? But yeah. don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't, don't you dare make a single suggestion. Because that, that was my pet peeve was yeah. I would... Sh- the like three milliseconds after you mention your diagnosis, the mm-hmm. advice comes. Have you tried? Have yeah. you tried? And it's always <laughs> things where it's like, of course, I understand there's a forest a, a kilometer sure. away and I should go walk through the forest and that would help everything. But you know what? I'm not going to because I'm covered in invisible cement right now right. and I just can't. So yeah. thank you for the suggestion. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, it, it's sort of like the for me, the type of feelings I had were the more suggestions I got, the more I just felt like it was just a reminder that there looked like there were simple solutions out there right. and I just couldn't get off my lazy arse and take advantage of yeah. them. So it kind of added the guilt that sure. I already had put on myself. How much um, pressure or encouragement do you think, if, if any, um, do people need? You know, because if, if we don't give any encouragement at all, uh, then recovery isn't necessarily always about just falling deeper and deeper into the of world, course, right? Of course. I think you need a little bit of pressure. I do. I just think it depends who that pressure comes from. Yeah, and yeah. I'm the kind of personality where I feel like if I just have a little breathing room and if I feel like everybody's got my back, yeah. I will be the one to make the first step and to get myself going. Yeah. That's my personality. But I know there are Half the world out there would be the opposite and right. would say, like, I need people to tell me I can do this. I Come need drag people me to tell out of the me. House yes. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that part I haven't. If you have any insight on that. Not really. I mean, I, I tend to be with you, too, that that um, for me to reach out, I need to feel safe to do so. Mm-hmm. And I've actually because I'm kind of an avoidant type person. When people reach out to me, I'm going to shut down. I'm oh, like, absolutely. Dude, this is my space. This is my stuff. <laughs> Who are you? Get away from me. I know. Yeah. I've had periods stranger of danger. time. Yes, yeah, stranger danger. <laughs> and I've I've had periods of time where actually in my depression where I felt extremely lonely, mm. but then someone would reach out and be like, hey, I, I feel like your posts lately seem a little down. Do you want to come get coffee? And I'd be like, well, what is wrong with that person <laughs> that they are just reaching out to a stranger for friendship? Yeah. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. No, so I, then I zip sure. up the, <laughs> the <laughs> bubble of insulation and... Um, and be alone again, which isn't, of course, yeah, it isn't healthy. So I'm not sure what 
what mix. I right. just know um, if if a friend of mine called and said, well, you know, you can't just sit around all day, that would be like, I'd be like, oh, you yeah. just made it worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think uh, maybe it's a maybe it's even just a balance within individual people and knowing having people who know you and trust you and love you enough to know when is the right time to make that encouragement, mm-hmm. right? If if you're very clearly not in a place where you need to be encouraged to just get out of the house and go for a mm-hmm. walk, then maybe just we're going to shut up today and <laughs> let you eat your chocolate or whatever works for you, right? Yeah, Meeting people yeah. where they are. Yeah. My husband was awesome. He would like quietly just walk into the room, gather up the many dishes I had accumulated <laughs> under the sofa yeah, and under the sofa, quietly yeah. bring them up to the kitchen and yeah. and give them a rinse. And he'd be like, a tough day, huh? And I'd be yeah. like, yeah, it's really tough because I went to the computer and checked email for 10 minutes and now I'm just really tired. <laughs> so he would, he would, he didn't understand it, sure. but he certainly very quickly got to know that I just needed support. And then yeah. when I was ready to make the first step, I, I went and saw my psychiatrist and I guess I felt very safe with her telling me what to do. And mm. I really want, I truly was like, just tell me, just right. literally write out instructions. I'll do them and I'll get better. I promise. Um, with, with her. And I guess because there was no ego involved, I didn't, mm. f- I knew it wouldn't be coming from a judgmental place. Yeah. Um, so so how did you know that? Uh, what did that psychiatrist do? It sounds like you've developed a really great relationship with mm-hmm. her. Um, what was it about her? Or what did she do that helped you to trust her? <laughs> she drew a lot of diagrams. Okay. Um, <laughs> did you get the one with the neurons and the serotonin balls going? Yes. In yeah, yeah. See, and that's what I feel like if you help me understand it on an intellectual level, then I will understand. So things like... Yeah. She she would say, have you been ruminating? And I would say, what's what's ruminating? And she would explain to me that it's when you have one negative thought and instead of having the thought and letting it go, you start replaying that memory mm. or that thought and then you start fantasizing about it getting worse and worse and worse. And I said, mm. oh, that's my hobby. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I do with everything and I do it at 3 a.m. and it keeps me up for hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. so anyway, when she when she explained it and she drew a little diagram of the tornado in my mind and yeah. um, then I felt like, okay, I've given it a name. I know mm. what that is. Now I catch myself. The second yeah. that I start that weird honestly it's like a masochistic fantasy of mm-hmm. <laughs> of what's the worst it could possibly get and sometimes you don't really or eventually i think you get to a point where you're in your recovery where you can see what you're doing as it's happening i tell people yes. sometimes i've gotten very good at being depressed like, <laughs> like i'm like an expert uh, <laughs> at being depressed not at depression yeah uh, but at, at some point uh you real when you catch yourself and you can see where you are in it and you realize how did I get there? How did I get from uh, th- that person uh, didn't answer their phone t- down to everybody's going to leave me and I'm going to die poor and lonely? <laughs> like, yes. How, and it's, and, <laughs> and like, I crap, realized that that's how my mind yeah. processes thoughts. And yeah. it's really weird. And it's like my mind is working against me. But that is just what my hobby seems to be. Right. And so I I catch myself now and then I move on to channeling that those thoughts in a positive way. So yeah. for example, um, I try and listen to at least 20 minutes of a book on tape every sure. day just to give myself a bit of new knowledge because focusing on that new knowledge um, will stop me from mm. uh, my mind kind of going to the usual panicky place. Right. Um, so I love filling new knowledge. That's something that works for me. And so the psychiatrist just, she was very goal oriented mm-hmm. um, and she could tell I really didn't enjoy 
I didn't enjoy the sessions. I'd get a little squirrely oh, yeah? if it was the session where it was just like, do you remember another time in your life where you felt right. sad in that way? I would just be like, oh, no, no. Time is money. Let's <laughs> like let's focus forward. Um, and so we did we did do the sort of the backstory work. Right. But then I, I felt so great that I knew when I was going to see her that without judgment, we were going to focus on some new task for me for the mm. next week or some new understanding for me for the next week. And mm. so I loved her in that regard and, and felt like she was mm. very forward moving. Uh, did you guys work on medication as well or uh, psychotherapy only? Uh, we We did medication as well. And I remember thinking... Well, I don't think the medication is helping. It helped right. very much in my postpartum depression, and I could feel it right away helping in my postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. But uh, with this depression, I couldn't tell that it was making a difference mm. necessarily. Um, but I just know one day, because I was doing all these other things at the same time. I was trying to, I had my dog, and I was mm-hmm. like trying to learn to be a jogger with her and <laughs> um, starting journaling and trying to reach out more and exercising more, all of those different things. And then about six months after I'd started all of that, including the medication, um, I got caught uh, in in the reef one day with waves crashing me up into these rocks. And uh, I was flailing and it was kind of the type of thing that would be super embarrassing for me. And mm. I was used to blowing my gasket a lot. Like I would mm-hmm. say anger was my go-to place in mm. my depression. And I came out of the water and my husband was almost like <laughs> he had like a <laughs> defensive stance, like as though I was like coiling up to, I don't know, Deckham or something. And I said, honey, what's going on? And he said, well, I, s- I saw you out there. I'm, you, you must be really upset. And I understand. And he was trying to say mm. all the right things. I was like, oh, honey, no, that's. It's fine. I'm here, right? <laughs> and he he was like, the, your reaction is weird. <laughs> and I said, it is weird. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, this is what it's like to have a normal right. human reaction to <laughs> circumstances. Yeah. Um, whereas for me, anytime something tiny would happen, like if I would stub my toe or lose my car keys mm-hmm. or something, the reaction would. The worst. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. It it was huge to the point where my kids made a scream chart where they oh, on yeah. the fridge they drew it and I I got a little tick beside my name anytime mm. I would lose my temper because I they could tell I just I felt so terrible when I did and they were kind of trying to help me through it. Right, right. but it's like it's like you're kind of a, a live wire too, and and anything can set off that domino reaction. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And the the with depression, my sleep was so bad right. that I guess day to day, if if I had had three hours sleep the night before, mm. my my anger would be like really on edge. Mm. Um, and I tried to be super protective of my kids and just sort of keep mm-hmm. my distance on those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was never directed toward them, but they certainly, I mean, we're all in the same house. They could certainly be aware yeah, of kids my can, energy. Kids yeah. can be assholes sometimes. No, but especially if you're in that really raw, vulnerable place, you just don't want everybody pulling on you in every direction at mm-hmm. every time of the day. So. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you how did you manage that being a mom, especially, you know, a relatively new mom at the time with the post postpartum piece? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you manage being a mom and, and having depression? What I would say is I I managed that part of my life better than expected. OK. But everything else gone. Mm. Like there was zero self-care. There was zero health. Mm-hmm. Like. I would spend an hour making the world's healthiest soup for them mm. and then I would eat six Twinkies and a bag of popcorn. Mm-hmm. And uh, I 
I paid no attention to, didn't give time to the rest of my family, didn't give time to friends, Mm. uh, almost cut them off completely. So it was sort of, it was like I knew the kids were so sacred that I thought, okay, can I use any rationale I have left and Mm. give them okayness Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then just take it out on every other area of my life. So I'm shocked that I'm still married. (laughs) It's confusing to me. I don't understand. I guess he's... Maybe he's either a martyr or just the kindest person in the world. Um, but he said, I, I didn't understand what you were going through. But he's like, I knew who you used to be. And right. I always had hope you'd be that person again. And wow. That's uh, so I'm certainly making up for lost time. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. A lot of sex in our house. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it paid off for him too then. It all yeah. worked out. <laughs> be depressed anytime, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so now, how long... Um, would you say that you've been in recovery or, or feeling good or, or do you still actually let's start here. Do you still identify as having depression? So what I was told was that if you've had depression more than once, even when you're not depressed, you're in remission. Sure. So I would say I'm in remission for four years. Mm-hmm. I have had days or periods where I can feel depression around the corner mm-hmm. And I fight so hard and I swim upstream as much as I can Mm. to not go down that path again. Mm -hmm. I think when I was depressed, it was very, very hard to swim against the current Mm. like that. And Mm -hmm. I just let the current carry me deeper and deeper. But because I'm not depressed right now, when I can see it coming, I feel like I have the power to really outrun that cloud Um, or to just barely outrun it, I guess. But um, So, yeah, I would say there there are months for in the line of work that I do that are harder than others. Like January and August are always a little harder for me because mm. it's the end of holidays, but work hasn't quite started up yet. Right. So I feel like I'm a bit purposeless. But now because it's four years later, I have strategies. I'm like, oh, well, it, I'm writing yeah. a book starting that particular day or I'm yeah. – I'm going to come out and do a lot more podcasts or I'm going to yeah. take a friend to lunch every single day for that month or something. Like I, I try and find strategies around it. But I really do mean that I have a, a checklist every day that mm-hmm. I do because I I understand that I'm just a person who seems to be very susceptible sure. um, to depression. And so I'm living in a way that rain or shine – actually, I was I was mentioning before we started – that like my dog doesn't care whether it's rainy or not. No. <laughs> she has to go out. She has to be exercised yeah. or else her muscles are going to get flabby. So I put on my rain poncho and my runners and I'll go do a 5K right. in the pouring rain in the mud. And I, it makes me feel so happy and grateful because right. I, I do it knowing I'm working on myself. I'm doing this for myself. That's a, a really beautiful metaphor, I think, for recovery, too, that it doesn't matter if it's raining. Mm-hmm. Get out there and, and run, <laughs> exercise, whatever. Yeah. Get, get through the mud. Yeah. You'll so whatever I that. can do to sort of trick myself. And I even yeah. said to my husband, he used to, to say, well, I want I want to make life easier for you. So I'm going to take care of the dishes and I'm going to take care of this. And, I'm gonna, mm. and I said to him. I don't want us hiring anyone anymore and I don't mm. want you taking care of those things anymore because I said then I have no responsibility mm. left. I think I need responsibility. I need to feel like I'm helping out. I need the self-esteem yeah. that comes from completing little 
menial tasks like that. Yeah. So I get that <laughs> it almost sounds like I'm like a kindergarten kid being retrained sure. <laughs> for how to live. But, but, no, um, but it's, it's true. And I think that, you know, when I was a teenager, I was in and out of uh, psych hospitals a mm-hmm. lot for treatment. And one of the first things they do there is take away all of your responsibility, all of your rights, all of your sometimes, wow. even you know, even if they're medicating you or strapping you down or whatever, putting you in a secluded room, taking your shoelaces, whatever it is that they, they do. But it's all about taking away your agency. And oh. that's the exact opposite, I think, of what we need to be doing. Yeah. Right. We need to be able to 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 help people find purpose and meaning and, and or even, just even something if it's to the, do. Yes. And even if it's <laughs> like, the tiniest, most ridiculous task that you would never think, why am I grateful to load the right. dishwasher? But every time I do it, I go, oh, my mental health is going to love this <laughs> when the final dish goes in and I pour the liquid and yeah. go. Yeah. Um, so those those kind of things are like even making the bed. So I tell myself all the time, these doing this for my mental health. And I, right. I guess I love myself more. I don't yeah. I feel like I'm worth it. And I feel like there is a rhyme and reason to um, getting healthy. Mm. Uh, so I'm committed to those things. But I want to know. So how how early did your issues with mental health begin? Uh, probably I first started thinking about suicide when I was about 10. Uh, I had my mm-hmm. first attempt when I was 12. I uh, had about seven hospitalizations uh, throughout my teenage years. And can you pinpoint anything that sort of triggered that, those feelings for you? Well, or? I mean, there's certainly a, a lot of stuff in my life. We grew up poor. Uh, my parents had split up. I, I was being bullied and, and uh, abused both in school and at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think for me it was definitely a lot of um, social determinants. Uh, around me. I didn't feel safe anywhere. Mm -hmm. And when you don't feel safe, you're going to react in ways to protect yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I think it was uh, many, many years of uh, attempts to escape or attempts to get my needs met to escape what I was feeling. And they kept getting worse and worse because I wasn't getting my needs met and I wasn't getting the help that I needed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would... um, uh, didn't know what to call all the stuff I was feeling inside, but knew that I didn't want to feel it. That that's two important things. Nobody had taught me what to call this stuff inside yeah, me. <laughs> the, yeah. the the sadness, what anger, anxiety, whatever, because we didn't talk like that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, nobody gave me the strategies for actually how to manage it, how to how to yeah. work through it. So you know, I, I think it was one. It was a compounding effect over many years, and by the end, I felt like if all these doctors and psychiatrists and teachers and and social workers can't help me. Maybe it means I'm not helpable. Maybe it means I'm broken right. and, and irre- irreparable. And uh, that wasn't true. It, it was only when I started to realize that sharing your story is something you can do, mm-hmm. that that's useful to people, that that gives you purpose in society. And, and and that's really when things started to turn around for me, when I when I realized that I wasn't pointless. Oh, I'm so glad. Me too. <laughs> do, you know, and do you know what brings me comfort? And I hope it brings you comfort as well. So my kids are now 10 and 12, mm. and both of them have had mental health uh, projects to do at school. Mm. So they have learned terms like depression and anxiety. And uh, they're comfortable speaking those words. Also because Mm. I have explained to them in like an appropriate way that their age can understand. But I'm grateful that they understand that it's uh, an actual illness, Mm -hmm. that it's – I'm 
grateful that they have a bit of a vocabulary around it. And my son went through something a few weeks ago at school where um, the vice principal had really terrified him. And he's Mm. a great kid. He's won the pink shirt for (laughs) anti-bullying and stuff. So he's a good kid, but ended up really getting having someone come down on him hard. And it made him feel so guilty. Mm. And he came home and said, Mom, is this what you felt like when you were depressed? Because I can't imagine even having this feeling any longer. And uh, and I just explained matter-of-factly, well, honey, you have these feelings because something bad happened. Mm. If you had these feelings when nothing bad had happened, yeah. then that might be depression. And I said, if you don't start feeling better in a day or two from this thing, mm-hmm. that might be depression. Mm-hmm. But don't you worry. This You just have sadness because something very sad has yeah. happened to you. And so let me just love you through it. What would you like to do? Should we yeah. sit together and watch a show? Should we cuddle? Should we? So he slept in bed with me for a couple of days <laughs> and uh, we ate a bit of junk food. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, we yeah, just, yeah. we took care of it that way. But I'm, I'm really grateful that society as a whole seems to just put a little more emphasis and a little more vocabulary out there mm. that it's part of a school curriculum amazes me and makes yeah. me grateful because if a fifth of the population was going to go through cancer, mm-hmm. which they, they do <laughs> eventually mm-hmm. uh, could happen. Um, th- there's education out there. There's sure. constantly commercials about it and stuff. And finally, mental health I- issues are catching up with that where there are commercials for right. various right. charities. There is talk of it in the classroom about mental health and, yeah. and speakers who come in. So I'm very hopeful for the future. And I, I'm excited to see what kind of difference that makes 20 years down the line when yeah. they're adults, how they know how to cope a little better, hopefully. Yeah. When I was um, when I first found out that I was going to be a dad for the first time, um, my first reaction wasn't this sounds terrible, but it wasn't excitement. Uh, mm-hmm. It was happiness, sure. It wasn't excitement. It was fear uh, that... Are they going to have what you had? Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to turn out like me? And uh, how can I protect them? How can I stop that mm-hmm. from happening? And then after he was born, I realized, I actually kind of hope he does because I turned out all right. And oh, I had never thought about that I before. That. <laughs> and it was like, I'm better prepared oh, now I love that. for if someday he ever comes to me and says, Dad, I'm really struggling and... Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he'll have that language and I never did. Um, Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up, I guess I'm wondering if, is there anything that you're grateful about the difficult times you've been through for? Has it given you anything? The only thing that I would say I'm grateful for is the empathy I have for other people. So even things like in traffic, some jerk cuts me off. Mm. And instead of me feeling anger, I think, is that guy's wife in the hospital? Right. Is, yeah. Does that guy have erectile dysfunction and is super <laughs> embarrassed, like is sure. struggling? Who is struggling quietly beneath the surface? Right. And probably so many of us are. Yeah. So I have that kind of empathy. And it also took away my ego in terms of posting things online. Here's an example. Yeah. Yesterday was International Day of Happiness. Yeah. And... um I always feel like a dork when, you know, you're on Instagram and you're posting a quick little video of you talking to the camera. I just feel like a dork. It's weird. I'm, no, no, I can I be like a public speaker. No. Great. But for some reason, posting <laughs> online feels awful. But I make myself do it because my heart says, what if somebody's out there? Yeah. So then I go and I tell my story and I feel like a bit of a dolt doing it. But inevitably, there always is somebody out there who will send a little message back and say, thanks, I just moved to a new town and I was feeling lonely and you posting about 
having felt lonely. Like it, I, I said about how in 2000, my New Year's resolution was have more friends <laughs> because I was lonely. Sure. And, uh, and that's something that isn't, that's not normally something I'd like to announce to the world. But again, I, I set my ego aside and just thought if this brings anyone a little sense that they're not alone, that would be terrific. Yeah. Well, so what do you got uh, coming up next? You, you got your book out. That's yeah, my book is well. being released in the States in uh, April, and it's called Depression the Comedy. And I went with that title. You were talking before about how your talk was a tough sell. My book sure. was a tough sell because people were saying books about mental health should go deeper. They should be mm. more personal. It should be a literary gem. It should be. And I was like, well, but see, there's people out there. And I know this because I speak to them mm-hmm. all the time from stage. Um, who kind of just want a safe little entryway Mm -hmm. into talking about mental health. They don't want to be triggered further. They um, are just trying to, sometimes it's for themselves or sometimes it's just most of the people who come up to me after a show to talk are people whose spouse or family member Mm -hmm. or child are going through mental health issues. And so I felt like this is a safe little book that you can give them. It's mostly jokey at my expense, never at the expense of mental health, but it shares my journey and then a couple of things that worked for me mm-hmm. and no one got hurt right. <laughs> in the reading of this book kind of thing. And yeah. uh, so I, I'm i happy to put it out there. But it is, again, one of those projects where I knew, OK, this this might not be a commercial success. This might even be viewed as a really elementary, embarrassing book for a publisher to touch. But I know in my heart that there are people who just want to wade out in the shallows a little bit and get to know a subject that way. And I stuck to my guns and I did it. And um, maybe it's not for everyone, but it's definitely for those who want to learn a little about mental health and don't mind the odd fart joke. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. (laughs) So what what would you say for somebody who hasn't yet picked up the book, but Mm -hmm. is imminently about to do so? Um, what would you say to that person who's who's struggling and is just starting to wade into mm-hmm. into learning more about what they're going through? I would say that knowing you're not alone will go a long way. Knowing someone else has been there where you are at is is helpful. But I would also say please give yourself a giant pat on the back for whatever tiny step you're taking, even if it's walking up one flight of stairs to get yourself a piece of celery, even if it's picking up the phone to make a phone call you really don't want to make like please honor yourself because it is as though you have an invisible elephant on you and the rest of the world might not see your efforts as the grand thing that they are but i i know and you know what a big deal it is to take that tiny first step so please know that you're doing great in whatever little phase of the journey you're at jessica holmes thanks so much for coming in thanks for having me mark that was awesome All right, that's it. That's my conversation with Jessica Holmes. She's so much fun. She's just got such a a, a nice personality. She is so open about uh, her experiences, and I feel really grateful that she came in uh, to talk. If you enjoyed the conversation that we had today, please share it on all of your social media platforms. Uh, I'll be sharing it on my uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Mark Hennick, at M-A-R-K-H-E-N-I-C-K. You can also go to markhennick.com slash so-called normal for past episodes. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. 
Spotify. We're on Stitcher and everywhere else, Libsyn. So wherever you listen, uh, go on there, subscribe to the show, uh, like us, leave us a really nice, beautiful, kind rating with like lots of heart emojis and stuff like that, and, sh- and share it with your friends. Uh, and if you have any other ideas for for more guests, please uh, let me know. Get in touch. Share what you think about the show. If you want to try out some free psychotherapy, a free trial of online, safe, effective, credentialed psychotherapy, head on over to BetterHelp.com slash Mark. That's BetterHelp.com slash M-A-R-K. Enter the promo code Mark, uh, and you can get a couple of weeks of uh, free uh, uh, free trial rather of, uh, of psychotherapy. Check it out. See if you like it. Uh, that's all for me. Uh, this has been So-Called Normal, and I'm Mark Hennick.